Welcome to Lillipod episode 90, Sexual Compatibility Without Test Driving. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Hello, LilyPod listeners, and welcome to another episode of LilyPod. Today, we are going to discuss the intriguing and sometimes controversial subject of how to attract and create a great sexual relationship uh, without test driving before marriage. So, uh, you know, there's some people who say you just can't know until you have experienced sex with someone. Uh, what it's going to be like, and therefore you have to test drive in order to to know what you're getting uh, in in the future sexual relationship and marriage. There are others who say no, as long as everything else is right uh, in the relationship, that will sort of take care of itself, and maybe it's not the most important thing. And I think where we land is somewhere in the middle between those two extremes. Kathy, what do you think? Well, I really loved uh, our friend John Brailsford. He was recently interviewed on our podcast directly. And this is going to be a summary of basically six hours worth of information he shared in the Flameless Fireside podcast. It was in three different segments. And I took notes on all three of them, and he gave us permission to share them here in summary. Uh, It's 11 ways to attract and create great sex without test driving, and the acronyms for those 11 ways is basic and easier. And we're just going to start from the top. All right. So we're going to start with balance. Uh, That involves attachment styles. Do you have anxious avoidant attachment? Uh, to your loved ones, or is it uh, more secure attachment with bonding and differentiation, or do you have avoidant attachment where you uh, you kind of avoid the other person? Yeah, so anxious and avoidant are the two different sides of the coin where there's polarity in the relationship. One person is anxious about connection, and the other is avoidant about connection. And believe it or not, folks, those attract each other. Well, in fact, in my first marriage, my uh, my style was uh, anxious attachment and my former wife's was avoidant. And uh, those two polarities became more extreme the longer we were together because, you know, the more I would pursue, the more she would distance. And the more she would distance, the harder I would pursue. And I, I understand that now. I didn't understand the dynamic at the time. I just thought she was being unreasonable. And, you know, what kind of a marriage do you want anyway? And that sort of thing. 
with Kathy when we were first dating. In fact, I was worried about uh, abandonment and she was worried about an attachment sort of being used to, uh, what, to control her? That's not really the word, is it? To damage my prospects until I felt like there could be real potential. <laughs> right. I mean, she was uh, fearing commitment. Yes. Feeling that that was too confining and I was fearing abandonment. So we had the same kind of dynamic early on. I don't think we have that now that oh, way. No. But. no, I think we're a lot more secure in our attachment because we're aware of these different attachment styles and we work at it. Uh, I, balance is such a perfect word because uh, as we discovered in intentional courtship, um, well, so actually what you can discover in intentional courtship, what we wrote in it is a, that opposite extremes attract, um, so any extreme attracts an opposite extreme. And so when you find balance in a characteristic you're extreme about, and that couldn't be about anything, um, and this is just one of them, this attachment style, when you find balance, then you attract another healthy person in that area. Right. And I want to discuss very briefly differentiation. Differentiation is part of a healthy relationship. Uh, and differentiation exists in opposition to emotional fusion. And fusion is where my mood or my mental state is determined by my partners, either when she's up, I'm down, or when I'm up, she's down, or we're both up or both down at the same time. And, and that it, there's something always driving driving that. And that's not a healthy way to, to be. Being fused all the time is, is not. You want to be differentiated so that there are moments when you want to be fused during sexual encounters together or on Christmas morning or on a date night out sitting across the table from each other. There's, yeah, that's bonding. There's moments like that where, you, but you want to be able to choose it as opposed to having it just, you know, determined by however the other person's feeling. Yes. And, you know, he, he mentioned that balance goes throughout and it weaves in and out of all of these. And so that's why we spent just a little more time on balance. Right. Um, so let's move on to action. Um, that's the A in basic. Action uh, would be, does our activity in daily life, does our energy output match each other? Right. Um, do, does my partner, my, my dating partner respond with anger and push me away or do they respond with sadness and bring me in? Uh, anger is a secondary emotion. It's not, uh, usually we're never acting in our, as our highest self when we're angry, but when we're sad, that's legit, uh, emotion, like primary emotion that can actually help us connect with people. Like when a child is sad, they come and hug you rather than push you away. And, you know, we could be a little more like that. Right. I mean, there is a realm of life where anger isn't a secondary emotion. And that would be in primitive times, a saber-toothed tiger comes into the cave where you and your family are living. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but in that situation, you're going to have a boost of adrenaline. You're going to be mad. You're going to attack that saber-toothed tiger and defend your family. And that is what anger is for. It's to fight off a dangerous enemy. 
The problem is if we're using that in our uh, attachment relationships, if we overgeneralize the response and are using it with our loved ones, how are they going to see us as a dangerous enemy? Right. And when you think about sexual intimacy and coming together, you want to feel safe. Right. And so this is an important thing to observe. And also, if you think about the energy that goes into sexual activity, does our energy and our activity match in life? Well, it's more likely to match in the bedroom. Right. So let's go on to spontaneity. Uh, That is the S in basic. Is your partner creative? Are they carefree and adjustable? Are they able to rebound and produce resilience when hard things happen? Because hard things are going to happen if you marry this person. And can that sexual relationship continue being good even when things are hard? Right. So, yeah, spontaneity, I I think, is one that a lot of us married folks could use a little more of. Um, the, the creative, carefree, flexible kind of, of, uh, relationship, I think is conducive toward, um, having a healthy sexual relationship, a vibrant kind of physical relationship. Where do we get in trouble there? Well, when we're so scheduled and so programmed that, and then we leave, sexual activity as sort of an afterthought. Oh, if I feel like it at the end of the day, then we'll do it. And I think that that if you find someone who's able and willing to be a little bit more spontaneous, that can help you at least believe that they're going to be willing to to allow that in. to happen and yeah. fit it in. Fit it in. Like because life is busy, right? It's yep. always busy. And so it allows us to fit it in when we're a little bit more spontaneous and adjustable. Right. I mean, and if, if you know, okay, I've got a big afternoon and evening, I know tonight I'm going to be tired. Oh, maybe you engage during lunchtime or something, but, and obviously you're not going to do that when you're dating, if you're committed to the law of chastity. But but you can observe these qualities if the person is creative in trying to figure out solutions for a problem. If they're, you know, all the things we talked about. Right. That's, that's why that one's important. I think the next one, intuition, is a similar, uh, it's a cousin to spontaneity. And that is sort of sensing the right way to go and being in tune with the spirit, connected to your own intuition. You know, what is your gut telling you? I, I think that that is kind of that free-flowing sort of energy um, similar to spontaneity. Well, and... I think being in touch with our own selves is intuition. And when we do that, um, then we can show up more authentically in our, in our sex life with right. our spouse. I agree. And well, then the last, um, is that where you were going to go to? Yeah, I was going to say the last one is compassion. So balance, action, spontaneity, intuition, and compassion spell basic. Compassion, compassion means merciful, forgiving, kind, assertive. Uh, empathy and giving the others the benefit of the doubt and then caring with healthy boundaries. What does that mean? Caring with healthy boundaries. I think it means 
that you understand that you're not responsible for somebody else's actions, their well-being, or their uh, emotional state. Uh, yes. And being both assertive and kind is, I think, the hallmark of a really mature person. Someone who can be kind without being a pushover. Someone who can be assertive without being rude. Right. It's a really great balance. And again, this goes back to balance of I care about you and I care about me. Right. And how great is that in the bedroom? Right. <laughs> well, and I mean, you think about compassion in the bedroom and we're not talking here about guilt sex or duty sex or anything like that. What we're talking about is genuine caring. You know, it, it helps obviously a lot to have a partner that cares about how I feel and vice versa. I, I want her to know I care how she feels. And so hopefully, you know, there is a lot of mutual caretaking in the relationship and showing up for each other. Now, if we, if we go back to the idea of healthy boundaries, there is another component to that. It's not only that I realize I'm not responsible for somebody else's mental state or their actions or whatever. I realize that they are not responsible for mine as well. That, that, that is primarily my responsibility and I can reach out for support, but ultimately it's my responsibility. Right. So if we're feeling anxious about sex with our partner, cause it's been a while or whatever, we're not putting on them the responsibility to take care of our feelings. Right. And you know, this basic, uh, that we've covered so far, um, I think they are really basic and I'd like to just insert here between these words to help us remember these ways that we can attract and create great sex without test driving. Um, is that Dr. John Brailsford is both a therapist and a, a double divorcee just like us. Right. And so he knows through personal experience how difficult this can actually be. And, um, sorry, how difficult being abstinent, choosing celibacy for a time when you're single in between marriage Um like in between a previous marriage and the future marriage that you want to create great, great sex. And like, he knows that these, this process is super important, both in his clinical work and in his personal life. And I just think it's brilliant. I think it's great. And I'm so glad he's letting us share this here um, because I think it's a really great way to be very intentional. Like going back to Jeff's initial statement, he asked how I feel about it. I think somewhere in between is balance, right? Somewhere in between sex doesn't really matter that much in marriage, which is like not true. Satanic. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's just have sex with everybody I date and see how, how we're, how we're a good fit. That doesn't actually explore all of these things that are really important, both to the relationship outside the bedroom and in it. Right. So this is getting very intentional about finding all the qualities you want in a partner that will make a great sex life over the long term, not just a great role in the hey one night right. or, or for a period of time while you're dating. Right. I mean, and, and after you're done dating and you're sort of committed to each other for some people, that changes their mindset and they're not as interested in sex, which I, I, I'm not 
you know, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that's how some people treat it. So the fact that you can do it when it's kind of forbidden and it seems exciting and great doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to ha continue to happen that way uh, when you're when you're married. Now, but for those married folks who might be listening, Jennifer Finlayson Fife, um, she's also a psychotherapist and and sex coach. Right. And and she's a very, very, very popular. And we have also interviewed her on our podcast and she gave uh, men singles some really great counsel for that. So if you haven't heard it, I would definitely go listen to that. I believe it's wisdom with right. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Anyway, she often says that um, her and her husband role play and she highly recommends it because sex, when it's totally legal and it's even could be can be. Um, it, it's spiritually supported by our, our maker, you know, like we, um, we can have fun with it, like kids play. Right. Right. And that you can role play. I know sometimes we're like, let's just take off our rings and go out on a date and pretend we're not married and see how <laughs> naughty we can be. <laughs> see, that's when it can be really fun. Right. Yeah. I mean, she suggests all those kind of role playing and, and look, you don't have to get into feeling guilty if you're role playing that, okay, I'm the knight in the castle and she's the peasant girl or whatever, you know, I, I, there's no, this isn't something you're really doing. It's a fantasy you're exploring with your partner and you're doing it together. So there, there doesn't need to be a sense of guilt about that. Right. That's, it's kind of like a kid playing cops and robbers. And if they're one of them is the robber, they're not just going to like automatically grow up and be a robber. Like it doesn't mean we need to like, worry we're going to become what we're pretending and it's just play right yeah the, so and it actually leads really well into this first word uh, exactly. in the word uh easier okay so now we're going to exploit explore easier yeah the first term is enthusiasm which is kind of what we've just been talking about uh passion confidence being engaged in good works uh dr john brailsford uses the word intimacy and then he breaks it down in to me, see, see and inside me. Dr. Uh, Laura Brotherson, who is also a really popular LDS sex therapist, um, who she wrote the foreword to Intentional Courtship, and she used that in the foreword, if, right. if you'll remember, uh, because she refers to into me, see, like that if we can be vulnerable and allow our partners to see into us, that creates great sex. Yeah, now, Laura also... Um, like Jennifer Finlayson Fife, Laura Brotherson also talks about uh, being creative and enthusiastic. And like she'll talk about using music during during a sexual encounter, you know, to set the mood. And she says, if you're not doing that, that's a dimension you could explore. You know, maybe that works for you and maybe it doesn't. But part of evaluating how your relationship is going to be like that is is my partner enthusiastic both about uh, physicality and sex and about life in general? Are they passionate? You know? Yeah. Are they interested in taking care of their bodies and are they, you know, good at taking care of their health? Um, you know, I'd like to just insert something here. I was listening to a podcast about getting in the mood because often, especially as women, uh, we think, Oh, well, I'm just not in the mood. Like, and it's just how it is. 
rather than I can do something about that. And music was one of the suggestions. So um, I've even made like a sexy playlist. <laughs> so <laughs> if I, if I want to get in the mood, I go listen to that music and it's like a trigger. <laughs> right. Now, maybe if you're single and trying to be celibate, that's like not what you want to do yet. But it's a good idea for an, in a marriage where you want to be creating regular, you know, positive sexual encounters where you get in the mood. Right. And we sometimes use the metaphor that men are microwaves and women are slow cookers. And, and actually, uh, many times for, for women, they, they don't begin to be in the mood, so to speak, until they start to get aroused. And so in, in marriage, that can require some intentionality there. And, and we can take that responsibility on ourselves if we're the lower desire partner to be able to step up our game a little bit. And, and not because we're trying to placate our partner, but because we want that for ourselves. Yeah, And, I, and then we, it ends up being good for both people, obviously. Right. I think the next point actually goes along with that affectionate is comfortable with touch, in tune with feelings, tender, gentle, safe, expressive, loving, connective. So I think those kind of words suggest a lot of, of uh, physical intimacy, even if it's just a back rub, um, that, that being comfortable touching each other is good. You can figure that out without going all the way. You, you know, if you're sitting on the couch next to each other? Is your partner comfortable if you're touching him or her on the arm or the shoulders or the face? Or are they constantly, you know, like don't, touch, don't yeah. touch me? Yeah. I, I used to say I didn't want to marry a don't touch me person because I don't like that. <laughs> I wanted somebody that was cuddly and would touch me and be touched. And, and Well, and this could go back to, do you have a balance of how affectionate you want to be together? Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it isn't the only thing that matters, clearly, but, but how much does it matter to you and how much of that do you want? I think that is balanced with enthusiasm. Enthusiasm might be this sort of unrestrained excitement, um, passion, and so forth. Affectionate is a more subdued word, and I, I think maybe affection is more intentional. So, you need the fire of enthusiasm, um, but you, you also... With the gentleness of affection. With the gentleness of, of affection. Yeah. All right. So the third word in easier, um, the S, is for selfless. So how awesome would it be to be in bed with someone who is willing to sacrifice? Someone who listens. Someone who's patient humble, teachable, knows how to serve others. So they'll serve you. <laughs> right. And knows how to shift priorities as needed. Meaning right. you will know you're important to them because they'll show up when you need them. Right. Um, women, I want to say something specifically to you on this because this can be a tricky area, particularly for men who are usually not always, but, but often the higher desire partner. And, and we'll talk about how this, this applies to dating in just a second. But um, if, 
if you're if you're just not in the mood, are you thinking of your partner's happiness as well, or is it just I'm not in the mood, and if I say no, I mean no, and that's all that's all I can can come up with. Well, the idea of someone selfless is is not necessarily that you just do what your partner wants. It is more, how do I want to show up in this relationship? How loving do I want to be? How, you know, how do I want to help my partner feel? Now, I'll talk to specifically to the men or the higher desire partners. In the same way, in exactly the same way, you have to be sensitive when you know, when your partner doesn't feel good, is sick or, you know, is exhausted and you may have certain uh, needs you want to meet and, and they are not in a position to do that for you at that time. And we've got to learn to respond in those situations with sensitivity and patience and patience. And so for both people, it's important to own and take accountability for our own part of the relationship and and to ask ourselves the questions, am I being selfless uh, or am I being selfish? And it isn't always exactly just one or the other, but... Um, well, and in fact, I think we always have to be growing as an individual and that takes a lot of self-focus and that is not selfish. In fact, that's really important part of, I believe, being the best version of ourselves for our own selves and for the relationship and for the world as a whole. Uh, you know, I, I guess I want to insert here that all of these qualities we are looking for in others are qualities we also want to develop in ourselves. And I believe John did mention that. And of course, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I mean, with anything we've ever taught in our book, Intentional Courtship, in any of our podcasts, in any of our videos, I either we're talking about personal development, which is a lot, <laughs> or we're talking about what to look for in a partner, which is what we want to be developing the same of. Right. At bottom, I think when we talk about being selfless, it is really, am I cognizant of how my partner feels and do I care? And that doesn't dictate a particular response. That depends a lot on the situation. But are you- And we want to honor both people. Right, exactly. Are, 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 are we balancing uh, the other person's happiness with our own? And that doesn't put us in charge of the other person's happiness. This is a decision about how I want to show up uh, in the relationship. Yes. The, the next characteristic after selfless is intelligence. I think this is also really important because it has a lot to do with intention. Uh, it talks about meaningful conversations, discussing intimacy. Can your partner carry on an adult conversation about sex without blushing and getting all nervous and worried if they should talk to their bishop? Right. So that's know. an emotional intelligence, emotional maturity. Right. Can I, can I show up and have meaningful conversations about things that maybe I might have been sheepish about when I was younger. Right. Um, also, 
intelligence wise, are we re- willing to build skill to study and practice? Because if we're willing to do that, then we're probably willing to do that about sex. Right. Uh, also, are we curious? Because if we're curious, we're going to learn and grow as a couple in that way. Right. I mean, if if I am um, an, an emotionally intelligent person and something happens uh, with my partner or in the realm of, of our relationship. Um, and, and let's suppose a feeling arises in me. Do I just accept that uncritically? Well, if I'm annoyed, they must be annoying. Or do I think twice about it? Wait a minute. Let me think about why I feel the way I feel and what is, what is really going on with me. And once I've got that solved, then dealing with the other person's um, issues is fairly, fairly easy. And I, I had something like this come up with Kathy yesterday. Won't go into the, all the details, but um, I thought about various ways of approaching it. And ultimately I thought, you know, the best way to start this is with a question. Okay. When you do this, what does that mean to you? Except well, for that. Let, let's just, let's just back up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I we hadn't, we just finished a lily pod interview that will be coming out like in December, I think. And, uh, I was really hungry and about to eat breakfast. And he said, after breakfast, we need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And part of the reason for that, like Jeff, that's the breakup line. He's like, we're not breaking up. I'm like, I don't think so, but still you put me on notice. <laughs> yes, I know. The, the, the four most frightening words in the English language are we need to talk. And I didn't think about that at the time. The reason I brought it up is because Kathy was suggesting something else for after breakfast. I think you were just setting the intention of having a discussion. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, you want to be careful with that one. <laughs> but I mean, as I had thought it through, I realized the best way was to start with a question, ask her what the meaning of her action was in her mind. You know, it wasn't anything super offensive or anything like that. It was something we just talked about and figured out and there was no fighting. There was no, I think because over the next hour or so that I was like eating breakfast and making sure I was in a good place. I was like, you're going to be really nice to me about this. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And you were, and I thought it was great discussion. In fact, I'm glad we had it. Yeah, Kathy, I'm glad we had that discussion also. Uh, And there's a couple of reasons I am. One is, uh, you know, the kind of things that trigger us are usually overgeneralized. Oftentimes we're thinking that someone is criticizing us much worse than we thought or something like that. You know, there's a lot of, of ways that we can get triggered that don't necessarily have much to do with the other person. The other reason is, you know, in, in the case of the discussion we had yesterday, Kathy's action was capable of multiple interpretations. Which one really matters to me? Well, hers. Uh, I want to know what she meant, not what it could mean, not what, how someone else might take it or whatever. I just want to find out what she meant. And then if we have an issue, we can talk about that and, and work on it. Because it turns out, you know, we didn't really have much trouble solving it, partly because I, if I had just gotten annoyed and said, that means Kathy's being annoying. Well, that could have been a a fight. Or a sore spot Um, that just lingered. Right. 
And, and so having emotional intelligence, a lot of that is being able to second, to reflect and to second guess your own interpretation. And be curious enough to ask. And be curious yeah. enough to ask. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So we're down to the last two words in easier encouragement. Yeah. Now, encouragement means being positive about yourself uh, believing in your partner, being patient with the process of figuring each other out. And how important is that in sexual compatibility? I mean, I know I feel so much more motivated and desire to desire more closeness when I know it's appreciated, when I know that I'm being encouraged to continue giving in that intimate way because it's enjoyed. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, Kathy, you know this, but on my little list that I had of the things that were really important to me uh, when I was looking for my partner, for my wife, the number one thing on that list was a happy person. And the reason for that is I think two happy people rarely get together and have a lousy time. And, and that's true even if they're not all that much alike or don't have that much in common. If they're happy people, they're going to be happy people together. If they're kind of chronically unhappy or looking to someone else for the solution to their misery, well, you know, that's going to be an uphill battle. And so I think um, encouragement and that positivity that it indicates, uh, kind of going along with enthusiasm. I think you can you can think of those two things together in a way. You're not uh, likely to have a lousy time with someone who's encouraging and enthusiastic with you. Right. Somebody who is is encouraging uh, is probably going to to want a healthy sexual relationship. Is probably going to want the joy that comes with that. So I think that's another uh, really important characteristic. Yeah. And then the last uh, word is resiliency. And how many of us, I mean, all of our audience, I think, has experienced some pretty severe setbacks in life that required resiliency. So our ability to bounce back um, after adversity hits and and what we mean by bounce back is like bounce back to kind of how you were before it hit. And then how fast uh, do you bounce back or recover when you feel down? Um, so, so there's two different things like life situations and our own personal mood fluctuations. Right. And, and resiliency, that's a, a hard one. I've learned over the years that I'm resilient. Um, Unfortunately, or fortunately, as you see it, I've had lots of setbacks. I've, I've had a business failure. I've had, uh, you know, two divorces. My youngest brother died when I was 17, or when he was 17, I was 26. Uh, and then, you know, more recently, some of you know that I, uh, I lost my son a few weeks ago as of the recording of this episode. Uh, in a, a climbing accident. And, you know, you would think, okay, after you've had uh, your little brother die, 
a painful death and then had two divorces and a few other failed love relationships and the loss of a business along the way. Uh, you know, and I could add other things too, but you would think after you've had all that, you're kind of done that you, you've proven yourself. Uh, we're then, immune to it. now. We're now immune. We've had our share of the trials of life. That isn't necessarily true. Uh, you can have very painful things happen to you, as happened to me. You can shed a lot more tears. The question is, how resilient are you going to be? Can you move back into normalcy? Uh, can you move back into your shalom? Can you radically accept what's happened, even if you hate it? Can you at least grab onto reality and understand that that's where you are? And that all the shoulds and shouldn'ts in the world aren't going to change it. Right. I shouldn't have to bury my child. Yeah, probably true. But how does that thought help us? He's still just as gone, you know, whether I think that thought or not. Well, and then, and that was my first thought, even though we've, we teach about not doing that. It was the first thought that came as a human being. And I had a lot of compassion for us about that. Um, but ultimately that gave way to, well, who else would be better to bury a, any person than a parent who loves them. Um, and that's more like kind of logistics, right? But then I guess I can go all the way to God doesn't take anyone before their time. And I think that's just as true. And if that's true, then all the shoulds and shouldn'ts don't matter. Right. I mean, there are a lot of ways, and, and we'll probably talk about this more in coming days, but lots of ways we can look at a tragedy like the loss of my son, um, which is, you know, quite honestly, probably the most painful thing I've ever gone through. Um, but can I actually just give an observation about that? Yeah. So Jeff stopped working for two weeks. And for the first few days, it was nothing but tears. And it was so hard. And I kept putting food in front of him because he didn't want to eat, but he would eat if I put food in front of him. And he would say things that, you know, we've heard mid-singles say about divorce a lot. This shouldn't have happened. I, I will never be happy again. I don't think I ever said that. I think you did. I think I said I would never get over it. Yeah, but I think you also um, said, I'll never be happy again. You did a couple times. Like, I think you might not have, like, realized it. But the thing is, is, folks, we're all human. We're going to always have a human response to these things. But I will say that I've seen him shift his thoughts very quickly because of what we teach here. And, Jeff, I'm really actually amazed at the recording of this episode. We're three weeks into this. And this last week... You, you came back from the funeral and you just hopped into life. And I know it hasn't been easy, but I've been so impressed with how what we teach and applying it to ourselves as best we can in this circumstance has given you resiliency beyond, I think, comprehension. And I'm sure a part of that has to do with all the prayers that have been set for us. Right. And we appreciate those from any of you that have 
participated in in that and offered your condolences and all the rest of it. I I believe that you know there's a there's sort of a golden mean that you get to uh, with a loss like this. When a parent loses a child, the grieving is a lifelong process. But I I differentiate between grief and mourning. Uh, mourning, I think, is when you're actively grieving, when you're like those first few days, those first or first few weeks, or however long it is for you. Um, and then there's a point you reach where that intense pain that goes with mourning is replaced by a, a mournful longing, and and it's not that intense pain, but you're still susceptible to get a lump in your throat 30 years later. I mean, I lost my little brother 30 years ago. If I still think about him in a certain way, there's times when I can, for a minute or two, feel just sort of unspeakably sad about it. And it doesn't linger. It doesn't stay. But it's still there. I saw my grandmother talk about the day her mother died when she was like seven years old. And this was 70 years later. And she got choked up and shed tears talking about it. Yeah. So that's so, the grief that continues and the part that you don't get over. Right. And you don't want to get over because that's what love is. Right. Love means, you know, like C.S. Lewis said, that all love ends in pain. <laughs> um, I don't think he literally means ends because when we go into eternity, you know, Christ will wipe away all the tears from our eyes. And but so in forth. life it does. But in life it means... Yeah, till the end of our life, there's going to be a little residual pain over that loss because you loved the person so deeply. And with my son, that'll never go away. I'll never get over it. I don't expect to. I don't even want to. And for a while, I didn't even want to feel better. Now, that isn't true now. Uh, but, you know, don't expect someone or yourself the first few days after a major tragedy, whether it's a death or a divorce or whatever, don't expect yourself or someone else to immediately start thinking positive and try to think your way out of it. And No, in fact, we don't really encourage just positive thinking, but thoughts that support healing right. eventually. And sometimes you need to cry and you need to get choked up and you need to t talk about how much pain you're in. Um, you don't want to stay stuck there, but you do want to you know, you want to be able to process what you've gone through. Yeah. And, you know, to bring this back to the topic, which is the the great topic of sex, I think he had over 100 people trying to get into the Zoom meeting every all three times because everybody's very interested in sex. You're talking about John Brailsford. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he, as in jo John Brailsford, who we got these 11 points from. Um, I'm so grateful, John, that you allowed us to share these here um, because I just I thought they were so fantastic. And we hope you enjoyed the summary of 11 ways to attract and create great sex without test driving. The words are basic and easier. And we'll just quickly review those 11 words. Balance, action, spontaneity, intuition, compassion, and enthusiasm, affectionate, selfless, intelligent, 
encouragement and resiliency. And uh, to go back to resiliency, since we talked a little bit extra about that, I, we just like to encourage you to listen to more Lilypod episodes if you haven't, um, because you'll learn more about resiliency and what kind of thoughts can support healing in these episodes. We also have, so we have Lilypod and we're available on all the different podcast apps. And then we have LilyTube where we offer free videos and shorts each week on, um, and they're, other than our interviews, they're generally like, they're all independent of our podcast. They're completely separate and other material. So you can go to love in later years. Um, or even, I think you can probably find us better even just through searching Lily tube with one a space between. So Lily pod for our podcast, Lily tube for our YouTube channel. And of course we always have written articles on our website at love in later years.com. And, uh, we just appreciate you tuning in and we hope that these 11 things will help, um, you be very intentional in your dating process. Absolutely. And folks, remember that any time is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to LilyPod and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com. <laughs>